0: Join us for an Iron Advocate mini-cast, where we tackle breaking legal issues with concentrated dialogue. In this episode, we address how lawyers can help stop the epidemic of African American men being killed at the hands of police. Jeff asks me to weigh in on how dangerous officers can be removed from duty based upon my two decades of litigating civil rights cases, including securing one of the largest such verdicts in Pennsylvania history. We are also joined by attorney Kevin Harden, a former prosecutor and current civil rights lawyer who offers his perspective on how lawyers can make a difference in stamping out racial violence by the police. Enjoy this episode of Iron Advocate as we continue to explore how lawyers can kill it in the practice of law without it killing us.
1: You're listening to Iron Advocate, the podcast dedicated to you, the trial attorney, sage, visionary, warrior, unfiltered, no holds barred, iron advocate. Join Bob Levant, Jeff Riebel, and today's top legal minds on a journey to discover how to kill it in the law without it killing you. Because being the best advocate for others begins with being the best advocate for yourself.
2: Bob, given all that has happened and where we are today, today is Sunday, May 31st, and the nation is on fire in some ways with folks protesting the racism, the mistreatment that black males in particular have received at the hands of police. What is something the legal community can do right now to try to address it?
0: So, you know, for me, I can speak from my own area of expertise, right? I'm a civil rights lawyer. What the legal community can do is recognize that it's not a coincidence and it's not an outlier that the officer who murdered George Floyd um, had a disciplinary record that, that would have had anybody in any other industry Terminated, right? So having officers run around out there, um, you know, with disciplinary problems and the inability to discipline them, terminate them is something that we as lawyers can uh, can work on. So time and time again, in cases where I have represented people who have uh, fallen hand, you know, fallen to uh, you know abuse at the hands of police officers. Um, so frequently the officers involved have significant disciplinary histories and because of the way that uh, the collective bargaining agreements are set up with police departments particularly in metropolitan areas uh, the hands are tied of the departments and the municipalities uh, to terminate any any police officers essentially without a criminal conviction. So if you ask me what we can do, we can examine that system and we could try to do something about it.
2: So what could individual lawyers, if they wanted to take In action, what would you suggest they do?
0: So, you know, get involved, right? So, for me, I understand the back end where the violations have taken place, right? But I'm not an employment lawyer. I don't understand the ins and outs of the collective bargaining agreement, right? So, if you're a lawyer that has that expertise, you're at a firm. Lend that expertise. Have conversations with legislators. With uh, politicians in the executive branch, particularly the mayors, right? If you have expertise in legislation, right, can can we put in place legislation, as has started to happen in some places in the country, that takes away the ability to put the disciplinary process into a collective bargaining agreement, right? Essentially takes it from the control of the police unions, right? Get involved, right? Speak, testify, right? If you're a big firm, is there litigation in this area where you can lend your expertise? Right, you can you can lend uh, uh, your expertise on an Amicus brief. Um, you know, get involved, have dialogue. Right, that's where it starts.
2: I hear you. I, and what I hear you saying is, this is not a anti police action anyway. This is a pro accountability action, which would be in the interests of any conservative, progressive, anybody on the spectrum. Am I hearing you correctly on that?
0: Yeah, I mean if you look at the amount of money that gets spent as a result of the broken disciplinary process, it is absolutely positively across this political spectrum in everybody's interest. Um period, full stop. And let me say that I believe that that most of the police departments would like to get control back of the disciplinary process. I, I believe that that most good officers and supervisory roles know where the problems are and their hands are so frequently tied because of the collective bargaining agreements they may not necessarily say that outright but but they believe it i tell you that from experience and and lastly i'll say listen i'm so thankful somebody's on the other end of the phone if god forbid i had to call 911 tonight this is not anti law enforcement right we're all pro law enforcement right but if ever there's been an industry that should be regulated in a way that that individuals with disciplinary problems can be either disciplined or terminated when necessary, it's, it's the profession where people have a badge and a gun, right? I don't know of any other profession where you can't get fired for, for not being fit for your job. And, and unfortunately, and sadly, in most metropolitan police departments, that's the case.
2: Right. And it's become a political issue that in terms of the the polarization we see today, folks aren't just looking at what's accountable, what's effective. So I want to turn to Kevin. Kevin, you're a former district attorney. You have litigated civil rights cases. You're an attorney of color. What do you see right now? What are some ways that we in the profession can make a difference right now?
3: One thing I'll just add is that my, my best, this, this week marked seven years since my best friend was shot and killed by a Philadelphia police officer. Um, that happened while I was working in the district attorney's office. Mm. So that qualifies it from just another perspective where um, my godson, who's now 13, um, that I see once a week, um doesn't have his father and uh and and that's so that makes this issue personal to me regarding police discipline and the unarmed the death of civilians so first and foremost the practice of litigating civil rights cases involving uh police officers uh many law firms don't get involved in that in those matters uh unless there's a significant uh return on the back end because sometimes police officers are could be judgment proof or there's not a significant uh, financial payout so lawyers immediately if they if they uh, are thinking of cases that they could to, could take up is they could start a project or form a collective of lawyers who take on cases that aren't big ticket cases they won't result in a very large uh, a very large payout um maybe even you may even end up with a with a with a a judgment, a worthless judgment due to uh, the officer having, being judgment proof. But you'd be surprised how much of a deterrent it is when a police officer believes that you may put a judgment or a lien against his home for the type of misconduct that he does out on the street. So that's just one thing that people should consider.
2: Let me ask you about this. You're basically saying it's a call to arms for litigators to take up what could be a, a pro bono or quasi pro bono cases in order to change the culture around the police. Is that what you're saying?
3: Yes. So, you know, one of the things that lawyers should pay particular attention to is something called the qualified immunity doctrine, which gives it's a judicially created doctrine that gives police officers uh, immunity when they do certain things against the, uh, the police. And then other jurists in Philadelphia where I practice, there's a immunity To police officers when they're sued in their official capacity in the state, not in the federal government. But what that means is, is that if there are several procedural hurdles that'll prevent you from successfully suing a police officer, even when they're dead wrong, and then even after all of that, their employer may not be liable. It's almost like a uh, a catch twenty two. If the the more egregious the conduct the police officer performs, the less likely that his employer, who's the who's the person who is likely able to pay a judgment for the injuries has to pay out. So uh, lawyers have to be ready to go out and get empty judgments because the city isn't on the hook when, say, for example, um, I've seen countless examples during these protests of police officers uh, acting out towards protesters in arguably lawful ways, uh, or lashing out at the media, which has been remarkably surprising to see how coordinated it's been where the media has been shot, stabbed, kicked. I mean, it's just been, it's been appalling. So with regard to that, uh, I think that it may be time for there to be projects dedicated simply to litigating cases involving police officers that commit misconduct against citizens. Uh, regardless of whether or not there will be a financial outcome.
2: And I think you're talking also, I mean, just this weekend, uh, the weekend of of May 30, 29th, it was a Friday, and 3031, there was there was a, an assault on police officers in Minnesota. I mean, a, a, um, a CNN reporter in Minneapolis was arrested. I know there's another. Um, Reporter who was, I believe, shot with rubber bullets in other jurisdiction. I mean, just in the last 48 hours, this happened.
3: Yeah, I've seen videos of a reporter, a reporter who lost her eye. Um, I've seen videos of officers uh, shooting into crowds that are obviously non uh, nonviolent and not obstructing any highway. And the, the sad part about it is, these are a bunch of, you know, these are these are those little cases that when, you know, the, the damages may be a thousand dollars, $1,500, but at the end of the day, uh, it be, they're still, there's still injuries. So somebody has to do something about that because, um, if they can create, I I believe that if they create enough financial incentive for some retraining and like Bob said, with the collective bargaining agreement, um, what what we've seen in the state of Nebraska, where they passed a law, I mean, they just passed a law that, prohibits collective bargaining around the disciplinary process because in a place like Philadelphia, uh, I believe Commissioner Ramsey was on CNN this weekend and he said he had fired a cop two times. And then the next time he saw the cop wasn't on the street, it was at his promotion. So this guy had been fired twice and then he comes upon him, for the third time, and it's at a promotion ceremony. So you have police officers that are in charge that have become the top police officers. Can't even fire their own employees that they they deem to not uh, deem to not meet the standards of policing. And Jeff, if, if I can Maybe, jump in for a quick sec, yeah, the, I was going to uh, ask
2: you, Bob. Tell us what do you, what are your views of that? How do, how can this change based on your extensive experience as civil rights attorney?
0: So so the first thing that that. To, to piggyback on what Kevin said, this is not unique to Philadelphia where Kevin practices. This is every large metropolitan area in the United States. And the reason for it is that, you know, the, the, there hasn't been the political will to take this on, right? So the knee-jerk political reaction is, well, we all have to be pro-law enforcement, all right? And so the mayors across America are, are afraid to push back on this. And again, the reality is that this is not anti-law enforcement, right? This is a profession that must be regulated and, and, and disciplined properly. And again, to echo what Kevin said, so Chief Ramsey, who, who retired from uh, being the chief police in, in Philadelphia, to give folks an example of what happens out there, he publicly um, stated talked about five officers in the Philadelphia Police Department a number of years ago, who he referred to as engaging in the worst police corruption that he had ever seen in his life. The five of them were federally indicted after one of their fellow officers was actually caught on tape stealing money and planning drugs. Unfortunately, those five were not on tape at all. A prosecution was brought and they got acquitted largely because the officer who, who had been caught on tape testified against them, but they didn't have the you know, same kind of sort of taped evidence against five of them. Long story short, they get acquitted. These five officers who Chief Ramsey labeled as the the, the, the most corrupt officers he'd ever seen got their jobs back, and several of them have gotten promotions, right? So, so if the standard for, for terminating an officer is that they have to be convicted of a crime, then you're yeah, going to have- Beyond a reasonable doubt in a criminal courtroom, then you're going to have police departments across America that are filled with officers who, in any other industry, would be terminated for whatever that behavior might be. Right? If they were carpenters or plumbers or lawyers or doctors or teachers, uh, you know they would be terminated. But but in the world we're living in, which is upside down, they can't be. And so so I, I echo everything Kevin said. Nebraska has taken this on, and let me just say that. That that law is going to end up, you know, potentially ends up in front of the United States Supreme Court. Obviously, it's going to get challenged uh, as 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 hard as it can be by FOPs across the country. So get involved. Right. Have a dialogue about it. Right. Um, You know, that's those are the things lawyers lawyers can do.
2: And this is an area where you can the, the polarization of the electorate, which is one of the stories of our time, along with the, the now pulling back the curtain of the racism that has existed for so long. If folks can get past being progressive, being conservative and look at these issues, you know, taking down a union quote unquote to create accountability. That's not a progressive issue. That's not a democratic or Republican issue. This is an issue of simply looking at what's effective. And this is where we invite lawyers you know, on this show, iron advocates to come forward and and help cut through bias and all of the prejudices that the general population has, and I think lawyers are uniquely positioned to help out on this. And what do you think about Kevin's idea of creating litigation that may not be financially savvy, but that could result in change, whether through consent decrees or through a breakthrough, uh, um, a critical mass being reached that there's actually change on the so, level of the culture.
0: So, real quickly, let me also say that I don't want to take down the police unions. I am all for police officers having you know the best benefits that that that's possible: medical benefits, pensions, all of that. Right? I I, I just don't want the disciplinary process hijacked. Right? Yeah, so, I
2: I'll rephrase that. I meant that so, the 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 so, idea that police unions can. In a way, bargain so there's not accountability. Right. Not about the things right. that humans do that are positive. I don't I don't right. mean that at all. I mean the, the piece of it where there is no accountability. That's the problem. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. And and you know, to to, to comment on what Kevin said, listen, that that's what the law is supposed to be all about. I, I I Kevin said it better than I could, right? The the more we shine the light, the better off we're gonna be. And and even if that that light gets shined as as Kevin said in, in a case that may be not worth a lot or somebody could be judgment proof, hey, listen, there's 12 or 14 jurors in that courtroom that are hearing about that case that are going back to their community and talking about it, right? So in every way, I, I agree wholeheartedly with uh, uh, with what Kevin said, and I would just say this to to to, to big law out there, listen, y- you have the resources, you have the power, um, you know. If every one of your lawyers took one case like Kevin's talking about. One case. Right? Every lawyer you have, let them take, let them take one. So can't say it any better than that. Imagine, imagine some of the cases that would get brought, as Kevin said, for somebody who maybe, you know, got a got a black eye or, you know, or or got scarred up because the handcuffs were too tight, but it's not worth enough money for the small practitioner to take. Right? Take it pro bono. Right. Give, right. Give, give it to one of your associates. Let him run with it. Right.
2: Maybe one of the uh, 16 or 18 people that complained about the officer that murdered George Floyd. Right. And maybe it wouldn't happen. Thanks,
1: guys. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Iron Advocate and that you take what you've learned and integrate it into your own personal practice. As always, we leave you with a minute of mindfulness. Breathe in, breathe out, and we'll see you next time.